Hello, and welcome to another Sarasota Institute podcast. The Sarasota Institute is a 21st century think tank that is focused on 10 major topics we feel important for the future of humanity. Please go to sarasotainstitute.global to learn more. The Sarasota Institute is a nonprofit corporation. Hi, and welcome to the Sarasota Institute podcast. This is going to be our very first episode, and joining me today is David Houle, who's also one of the co-founders. Um, not joining us today is our fellow co-founder, Phil Kotler. Um, also, before uh, diving in, a special shout out to our members. We're so thrilled to have you on board, and uh, we hope to continue to provide compelling content that helps you form and think about issues in a thoughtful way. David, welcome. Thank you, Jason. Glad to be here. It's been it's a it's a it's been a wonderful, uh, I guess, almost three year journey, and here we are, and it's uh, uh, our coming out year to the world. It, indeed, it is. So, talk to me uh, about why the Sarasota Institute, and I guess there are a couple of different ways you could think about answering that question. What is you personally, but then less selfishly, why the Sarasota Institute? So personally, um, you know, as a futurist and as somebody who is always thinking about the big issues and the next quote unquote, the next big thing, I've been taken by think tanks that are non-political, non-corporately governed and don't have anything to do about uh, governance, if you will. And uh, as a child, um, I grew up at the University of Chicago, and my parents were good friends um, with Mortimer Adler and, and Robert Maynard Hutchins, who came up with the concept of the great books. In fact, I just sold a version that had a signed copy of Maynard Hutchins because my parents were involved, one of the first 300 people. So I grew up with that, and the reason I mentioned that was that is how the Aspen Institute was founded, a guy by the name of Walter Pepke, was, was a, um, a very successful and wealthy man who was on the board of trustees at the University of Chicago. And he was the man that really reinvented Aspen. And one of his visions was to bring a think tank around the great books to Aspen. And he did that in 1949. And as you and I've discussed about the Aspen Institute for the last 70 years, and certainly for the second half of the 20th century, it was the dominant American think tank uh, on all, lots of big issues. And so that stuck with me. And since I've been a futurist last 15 years, I follow the World Economic Forum out of Davos, which has kind of been the relevant one for the billionaire and millionaire class and has been very good at identifying problems that we have to face, humanity being the we. And so I've always liked that concept of a think tank. Um, futurism really began with Herman Kahn, who set up a think tank in the 40s. So I like that concept. And what, what you and I realized at the creation of this, along with Phil, was that Sarasota has a unique um, status because of how many very interesting people either come here live part-time here or live full-time here. University presidents, head of Fortune 500 companies, um, people who've launched networks like ABC. And so, so what 
the idea was, was to create a new think tank, a 21st century think tank based in Sarasota. And as you and I've experienced when we've traveled the world, you know, people either say, why Sarasota? Or they'll come up to us and they'll go, oh, Sarasota. And they'll know it well, disproportionately to the population or anything else about Sarasota. So by calling it the Sarasota Institute, we're putting a marker down that Sarasota is a great place to be and has great thinkers and leaders. And also to, to put that out to the world, because I think you and I make no small plans. We want to create a 21st century think tank that over the next few years will become known as the new one, the vibrant one, and the one that's completely of this century, completely un- non-political, non-policy, and non-corporate influence. Okay. Um, well, we were intending to have a conversation about all this. I'm sorry. I, mean, you say, I, mean, I just went off. Sorry. <laughs> well, what, what I'll say for my part in terms of uh, why I'm involved with Sarasota Institute, I, I remember being a kid, and I, I guess my makeup is that I have always put ideas before personalities. And even when I was like three or four years old, I couldn't understand people's inability to divorce themselves from themselves. And that it was that ideas as a means of talking about stuff couldn't be divorced from their emotional hangups about it. And I think that one of the things that's always alarmed me is there are many great ideas out there, and as soon as you put it in a particular package, if we call a great idea a gift, people get hung up on how that gift is wrapped. And an example being somebody who may be conservative may have the best idea on how to fix climate change or how to shift capitalism, and yet somebody who's of a more liberal persuasion can't possibly open the package of the gift because they reject the wrapping. And I, I think it's time for us as a planet and us as a global citizenry to move past that. And so I, I like the idea of a 21st century think tank because it's time for the ideas to shine. It's time for great ideas to be stripped of political trappings and to be um, – yet another expression of political power rather than necessarily an idea intended to evoke or instigate change. And I also think it's time for um, institutions to be created by people that span the globe. And David, you and I speak about this frequently. Um, The problems confronting the planet right now, they just can't be solved by any one entity. Um, they, they just cannot. And many people will you know, point to the United States and say things like, well, you know, the U.S. should lead the way on all these issues, probably only because of its historical military and political and economic power in the last century. Yeah, I get that. But even the United States' power is not fully global. Even China's power is not fully global. Even Western Europe's power is not fully global. We're in a situation where the problems we face face all of us, 
issues like climate change, for example, issues like natural resources, issues like what do we do with all of the technological change that's coming down the pipe that we just can't do anything about. Um, and I, I think that the other allure for me of Sarasota Institute is let's start having these conversations. Let's start putting great ideas at the center of these conversations. And so let's, let's strip ourselves of worry. We're from the United States or I'm an American or I'm Chinese or I'm Malaysian or whatever your nationality is and start to think about outcomes long-term that affect all of us. So, I mean, for me, that's why I'm involved. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so the way I would say what you just said is, you know, in coming up with the vision for the shift age, which was my first book and which really put, put me on the map was one of the one of the dynamics of the shift age is to flow to global. And as I always say, it's not global economics. We have entered the global stage of human evolution. We've gone from family to tribe to village to city to city state to nation state. And our only re- remaining boundaries for now are planetary. In an earlier book, in a, in a subsequent book, I said that the 21st century would be looked back on as the century that was the end of the nation state, the nation state largely being congruent with the industrial age. So the reason that I like the Sarasota Institute is a 21st century think tank, because it was born from what you just said and what I just said. The reality is that we are in the global stage of human evolution in all aspects of humanity. So any other think tank, and even the United Nations, it's the United Nations. I don't know what the, what the governing global body is going to be, but you're absolutely right. We need to, we are a think tank, and I think it's our joint vision to be a think tank to create global thought, you know, in the categories, the 10 categories that are across our website that anybody can see, sarasotainstitute.global which is why, you know, we, one of them is global policy. And you and I intentionally did that because there's going to have to be global policy. You have to have global policy in getting off of fossil fuels. You have to have global policy for the greatest age of, of migration in human history. So, so it has to be global. And climate change is a global problem. And, and intelligence and natural resources are all global issues. So this really is what we say. It's a 21st century think tank of and by and for this new century. Yeah, and one of the things that we spent a lot of time thinking about at the very beginning, dating back T minus three years, was exactly what are the big issues? What are the issues that deserve people's attention? Um, And we've mentioned a couple of them. And there were some that didn't quite make the list. And honestly, I I think in retrospect, three years on, we did a pretty good job of identifying them. And for for people listening in on the podcast and trying to get a sense of how we're different and, and what types of issues we'd like to think about, and we've already mentioned some of them, but we believe technology is one of the most important, uh, big issues. And there are lots of issues around technology. And we actually think that's of prime importance, not because we have to necessarily get it right, but because technology itself permeates absolutely all of the other 10 categories, which we call the big issues. Um, And then we also have, just for for the audience's benefit, global policy, natural resources, marketing and media, 
intelligence, and I'm going to take a slight detour there because intelligence, what we mean by that is not necessarily artificial intelligence or versus natural intelligence. What we are communicating there is that the ideas that people think about um, and the way that new discoveries are made, the way problems are solved is at a inflection point that's that's quite unique. And a small subset of that conversation, David and I talk about this frequently, is wisdom. And that is seeing the world for what it is, not what you would prefer it to be. And that's one of our unique takes on intelligence. And then we've also got healthcare, education, democracy, climate change, and economics. And note with this last subject, economics, we did not call it capitalism. We actually called it economics. And the reason why is because at the end of the day, we're interested in exploring new ways of efficiently allocating resources, which is what capitalism does a great job of. But unfortunately, I think many people now are starting to realize that capitalism has its own deficiencies as well. And the question isn't socialism, communism, capitalism. It's, is there a new way that we can begin to organize some of these things? I'll pause there, David. I know you have some unique takes on some of these issues too. Yeah. So, you know, interestingly enough, when people hear for the first time that I'm a futurist, at least half of them automatically immediately say, oh, so you talk about the future of technology. And what I say is, I don't talk about the future of technology. I talk about how technology and the future of technology is going to change human behavior, human thinking, human consciousness. So so that's really, it's not just, oh, here's what the technology is going to be, but how is this tech, how can this technology be utilized? How is it going to change our lives? And, and, you know, you combine that with what you just said about technological, about intelligence. And I, as you know, I call it technological intelligence. And, and so how does that look in the 21st century? And natural resources, of course, is absolutely critical because we are natural resources until this moment in time have been free relative to balance sheets or income and, and, and profit statements. And yet we rely on it for free. And as of 2015, the, the global GDP was 75 trillion and the natural resources value of that was 125 trillion. So really these 10 have to be looked at, not what they used to mean, but what they will mean. In other words, what does 21st century healthcare look like? What does 21st century education look like? What does 21st century technology look like? What does 21st century democracy look like? And I, it's a quote from Phil Kotler, our third founder, that I like. He said, there is no democracy in the world that hasn't been eaten for lunch by capitalism, you know, because they're all corrupt. So, so I want to keep coming back to these 10 or, or the 10, I think we're pretty good. I don't know if we'd, what others I'd add to it because pretty much these 10 cover almost all aspects of human endeavor. So, um, but that's for the 21st century. Uh, healthcare in the 20th century is not going to be the same. It, it, it is history. Education is outdated. Marketing and media is completely changed. Uh, natural resources are dwindling at too fast a rate. Uh, and how can you educate anyone in a climate where current college graduates are being told three to five, you're going to have three to five careers in your lifetime, two or three have yet to be invented. So I want to keep coming back to what 
and I remember we really went through a rigorous conversation about this. What are the eight, nine, or 10? And we came up with 10, and 10's a nice number, that are really going to be disproportionately uh, of interest in this century. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that we also believe in, another differentiating factor about the Sarasota Institute, is that we see each of these 10 as interrelated. Typically, 20th century thinking manufactured uh, or was was at the level of the manufacturer, and that is that problems were broken up into their component parts and a logic or a science um, deployed to try and understand those component parts. I think we also believe now that these problems are all interrelated. And so, for example, if you get education right, you can also affect global policy. You, if you get healthcare correct, you can also influence intelligence. So, for example, um, with that statement, we now understand the brain to a better extent than we ever have before. And are there activities that we can engage in that will help um, unleash human intelligence? So because of that interrelatedness, um, I, I think that our answers tend to be not just global, but they're also comprehensive responses uh, to, to, to what's happening around us. Yeah, and I think the synergy, the synergy you, you reference here is really key. Just take technology, intelligence, and healthcare, right? As we're recording this podcast, there's about a quarter million people in the United States who have an implanted chip in the part of the brain that triggers, and it's where Parkinson's is, it comes from. So they have the shaking of Parkinson's, they push a button, and there's a, there's a, there's a shock to that part of the brain, and it stops, Right. But that, so that is technology and healthcare. But because of the new way we're mapping the brain, that you just, you know, memory is a is takes multiple aspects of the brain. And now that we're realizing this, there's the technology as such as they're going to be an implantable memory chip. First implanted, the estimates are 2022-2023. Think of that in terms of healthcare as a technological solution to Alzheimer's. And it, but it's also about intelligence. So, so they're all going to be interrelated in ways that they were not in the last century and certainly not in the 19th century. Absolutely. Tech, intelligence, technology, healthcare are interrelated. Technology, intelligence, education are related. Economics, democracy, and, and global policy, and that they're all interrelated. And I think that's a very good point worth doubling down on here for this podcast. The 10 yeah. are all interconnected in ways they never have been before. Yeah, and a, another thing that we have not brought up that we believe also is unique, or if not unique, um, in combination with the differentiators that the Sarasota Institute has, uh, our take on it's slightly unique, and that is that you and I, as well as Phil, are believers that business has a leading role going forward. And there's something that's happened recently, and by recently I, I literally mean within the last five to 10 years, where businesses themselves have started to realize that more than shareholder value is something to be maximized, and that is stakeholders need to be considered. And that movement first took hold in Europe and believe it or not, in places like South Africa, and it's now all-encompassing. 
And even two to three years ago, it was difficult to have a conversation in the U.S. with a publicly traded firm about other stakeholders than shareholders. And this is a significant shift, and it's significant because it means that businesses may be um, the entity that affects some of the big changes that we're anticipating and hoping through policy and great ideas come to reality. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that unlike governments, which are constrained by national boundaries or by the projection of their militaries, in the worst case scenario, businesses, many of them operate absolutely globally and better, they're very nimble. So as an example, um, when there were certain policies in the United States um, that were reprehensible to most of the United States, um, businesses, in this case, I'm talking about the treatment of uh, children at the U.S. border uh, by immigration officials at the direction of the Trump administration. The response, um, of course, from Democrats was entirely predictable um, in terms of its human rights issues. But the real change on that policy happened when airlines literally overnight refused to allow air marshals, or not air marshals, but INS officials who'd be traveling to the border to enforce this policy. It refused to let them travel on the planes. And that decision literally happened in 24 hours. And there are multiple issues of that kind where business is responding to social concerns and almost instantaneously. So that's yet another thing I think that is, is separating us in terms of our thinking. So, so to comment on that um, if from a slightly different uh, angle is uh, we've gone from shareholder value to stakeholder value, as you point out. In other words, uh, who are your stakeholders? Include the planet, include the atmosphere, include your workers, include your customers, right? And but it is beyond that into um, you know started conscious capitalism, and then it was stakeholder value. Now it is what are you doing for the common good? And and the the, the point I the view I have on that, Jason, is that is that governments are broken all the way around the world. You and I have talked about this. And, you know, back in two years ago, Lawrence Fink, the, the founder of, of BlackRock, $6 trillion under investment, said that it is time for corporations to lead in the common good. And, in fact, that's going to be a criteria for his $6 trillion fund. And then, uh, as, as you and I both have discussed, last year in the fall of 2019, the, the, the business roundtable came out for that. So at a time when governments are ineffective can't function or are broke, it is time for corporations to lead. And there isn't a category that we have where um, corporate leadership is not needed, wanted, and perhaps the best way to go. And also, the issue for anybody listening to this who think that corporations are bad, yeah, sure they're bad, but as they keep facing the common good, as they keep becoming more stakeholder, they will change their definitions of who they are. So that corporations only in for, for the quarterly profit and only in for the shareholders are going to be anachronistic in this next t during the next 10 years, no question. I completely agree with that. So you probably remember, David, that uh, Larry Fink issued that statement after reading uh, a document who, um, which I was the lead author, Future State of I the know. Investment Profession. Talk about that. That was a brilliant influencer. I mean, that's... Yeah, and Barbara Novick... ...ideas 
or what's important. And you put for explain that that the, the paper which you put forth. Yeah. So so Barbara Novick, who is the co-founder of BlackRock, along with Larry Fink, uh, served on the advisory group uh, for that document. Uh, something I did at uh, CFA Institute. And I was the lead author of a document called Future State of the Investment Profession. And Larry quoted language directly from that document that finance in particular had it to it that it existed and operated at the behest and luxury of the general public and that the public granted a license to operate to uh, financial entities and that we needed, meaning in this case BlackRock, we need to start earning that uh, license to operate on a daily basis with some of our choices. Um, we've got um, no more time, but I wanted to summarize some of our thoughts here. The Sarasota Institute is a 21st century think tank. We hope to convince you of that. Um, secondly, some of the pillars of our thinking are we need to be global. Um, we need to be future oriented um, in terms of thinking about what's going to happen at the end of the 21st century. Uh, we're policy neutral to the degree that we can, meaning that we're idea focused and centric. Uh, we tend to be systems thinkers, meaning that we see the integration of all these different ideas, uh, that they're inseparable, mostly. And in conclusion, we'd like to see additional um, centers of power, if you will, beyond just politicians and governments uh, acting um, as forces for change and influence. And one, one quick one that we didn't mention is we didn't mention the people power that is now enabled by social media. Um, we mentioned corporate power, but uh, social media enables people in a way as never before. Witness, witness Greta Thunberg uh, and her, her to-do. David, any final remarks before we uh, wrap this yeah, up? Just, just, just a pitch. If anybody's listened this far and is interested, I want to again say that our website is sarasotainstitute.global, not .com, sarasotainstitute.global. You can come to the website, sign up for free email notifications and thought pieces. And also you can look at our events. And if you're in the Gulf Coast, uh, of Florida, any time that we have an event, you're welcome to attend. So uh, just make sure you sign up and grow. We currently, I think, Jason, have 22 different countries in our email because of your and my speaking around the world. And we truly want to be a global think tank. And basically, we're into asking the big questions of the future of Sarasota, the Gulf Coast of Florida, the United States of America, and the world. And we'd like anybody who's listening to this to please join us. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please go back to where you downloaded this podcast to find another one that might be of interest to you. Thank you.